You're listening to the Gate Charlotte Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. John, thank you guys so much. John said uh, yesterday morning when he was introducing me, I feel like I've got an old friend coming to town, and it does. It feels like we haven't, we, we really haven't had that many moments, but it feels like they've been rich, and then you meet certain people in life that are kindred spirits, that it's like, it's almost like, like that old friend, old soul deal, and I definitely feel that with John and, and Tiffany, and... Um, and uh, man, we've had some pretty epic times, and I guess I should share the Dove story. But um, well, well, yeah, this is my moments in ministry. Uh, I love ministry, and I just love watching the Holy Spirit fall. And then sometimes in ministry, you see some funny, um, you know, weird stuff. Like at Bethel Church, sometimes we'll have people, this hasn't happened in like over a decade, but there used to be, like, you know, guys would show up in Braveheart paint and, like, you know, their face. And they were wearing, like, a, you know, a kilt. And they're, like, and then, you, then there was, like, another lady that brought, like, a six-foot sword. But I don't think she's, like, ever operated the sword before. She's never really taken sword, like, fencing or something like that. So she's just got the, like, you know, wheeled in. And I'm, like, oh, my gosh, she's going to chop someone's ear off. Like, and I'm usually the pastor where, that gets, you know, like, dubbed, hey, you got to, like, tell the sword lady to stop, you know. She's going to chop someone's limb off. We don't have the liability for that kind of stuff. So anyways, um, there's a lot of stories that I could uh, think of. But uh, anyways, I'll do the dove. So I, had a, I was a junior high pastor. I loved junior high ministry. Um, you know, it was uh, God kind of snuck me in there. Uh, I got hired to be the young adult pastor at 23 of a church. And then the junior high pastor quit. And so they asked me to take over junior high ministry, and um, I, you know, was like, I was complaining. I mean, I was praying to God, and I was like, God, I'm not called to be a junior high pastor. And I kind of perceived junior high ministry as like, you know, you take the kids and you give them pizza and Ritalin and a padded room and have them watch a movie. And if they are all alive and breathing at the end of the church service, then that's successful ministry. And so... So I showed up to do my first junior high night on a Wednesday night, and I had two kids, and I found out one of them was really hungry for Jesus. So I came home to my wife, Julia, and I said, honey, half my youth group is on fire for Jesus. This is amazing. <laughs> but anyways, the youth group started, you know, exploding. God, you know, started just raising up leaders and these junior hires. And so um, one of the things being a youth pastor is sometimes you are pastoring parents, and, uh, and so uh, there was this lady, uh, her son was in my junior high ministry, and she had a cape-making business. She made capes. Now, this is like 2006, you know, like Lord of the Rings was really popular, like just coming out and all that stuff. And, and you know, she had like those kind of capes. She had magician capes, she, and she would usually wear these capes. And she also had a couple pet doves. And so she would bring, yeah, some of you are like, wait, what? Like, you, ha you, you lost me a cape lady, you know? Like, but, but anyways, and, um, and so the, my, you know, the senior pastor, my boss, was like, hey, you need to talk to this lady and tell her that she can't bring her dove into church anymore. So I sit her down, and I'm like, listen, you cannot bring your pet dove into church, into the sanctuary. Like, you know, that's, that's, not, that's, that's not appropriate. Like, you can't just bring your, you know, pet animals into the sanctuary. 
Um, and, and she goes, well, that's the Holy Spirit. And I'm like, listen, like, that's not the Holy Spirit. Like, I am totally down for us being worship, and then suddenly a, do a dove just manifests out of nowhere. Like, that's, that's Holy Spirit. Like, we're, we're, we're given permission for that kind of stuff. But don't bring your pet dove that was in a cage the night before. That's not the Holy Spirit. It's just a bird. So I'm, you know, pastoring her. She's like, okay, sure, you know, she's doing good. She's, she's following through. And then we have this, you know, big conference. And we've got, like, Don Potter and all stuff. So I'm walking into the sanctuary. Worship had just started. And I see her in the corner, she's dancing with her cape, and then suddenly she looks around, and she pulls out of the cape her dove. Like, like she snuck her dove into, you know, and, and she's, like, thinking I'm in the back, so no one's really seeing me. And I'm, like, going, oh, man, I got to go. And, like, you know, she fell off the wagon. Like, I got to go talk to her. So I'm walking over to her, and the dove takes off in flight. And there's this man who's just crying out for God. He's on his knees. He's got his head back like, pour out your spirit, God. Pour it out on me. And this dove flies by and poops right on his face. But the dove had already left. Like, so he looks up and there's nothing above him. But then he's like, your spirit is green and like slimy. Like, but I witnessed the whole thing. Like I watched it all happen. And I'm thinking, like, literally, I'm going to have to clean up this mess in many ways, but I'm going to take this moment, because all I can think about is this guy is crying out for God, and he's like, God, this is like a manifestation of your spirit? And I just went to the ground, and I was just cracking up, and so, anyways, that's the dove story. Okay, yeah, perfect. Jesus. <laughs> Oh, man, that was good. Yeah, those are good moments. There's a lot of good moments. Uh, I'm actually, it's, 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 it's crazy. Like, I don't know if I'm going to break this down today or break this later on tonight, but I'm actually, like, right now in the middle of an encounter, and it started during worship, but I'm seeing a quilt. I'm seeing a quilt being made, and it's a quilt of Charlotte. And it's like, it just like keeps on like, just like I keep going in and out of this encounter. But it's, and I'm seeing like the history of Charlotte and what God has done in this region. And it's this quilt that's being made, that's actually being made like right now. Like meaning it's being added. And it's this generational quilt. And I feel like the Lord is doing something special in Charlotte for our country. And that this will be a place of healing of generations that generations are gonna to run together. I had a dream years ago where I walked into a room and I saw Jesus kneeling on the ground in front of three guys and he was washing their, uh, he was washing their feet. And he motioned for me to come over to where he was at and I get on my knees next to Jesus and I'm getting ready to wash the feet of these guys with Jesus and I look up and it's the face of a baby boomer, uh, Gen Xer and millennial. And I heard, and then Jesus looks at me, and he opens his mouth, but I don't hear anything audibly. And this is my dream. And out of his mouth comes out a rainbow. But in the rainbow, I read that um, I'm going to reveal myself as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in this time. And I feel like he's healing generations. And I feel like, with, you know, just kind of breaking down and being in the, like, kind of the middle of this kind of encounter right now is I believe that the Lord is, is adding to the quilt, but it's this place of knowing your history and also knowing that God is healing generations. He's healing generations to run together in this time. 
and there's something special that's happening in this city, in this region, in the areas of building bridges with the generations, and that generations are actually are going to run and to honor and to um, begin to make room for one another. First of all, like sometimes, you know, all those that maybe are the baby boomer generation in here, sometimes we hear things like, oh, let the young ones have a shot, all this doing stuff. Well, let me just tell you, if you're still breathing, you've still got giants to kill. It was Caleb who said, give me the hill country. That's, that was the land of the craziest giants. And he was like, give me the hill country. You know, he was like the old guy. And he's like, no, I've still got some giants to kill. So, you know, first of all, if you're breathing, like, that's not an accident. Like, God's not up in heaven going, oh, my gosh, he's still walking the planet? He was supposed to go home seven years ago. Like, no, if you're breathing, you have a destiny, you have an assignment. And we're called to run together. Like, you're, you're you know, anyways. Jesus. <sighs> Yeah, Lord. Holy Spirit, we just love you. We just thank you for what you're doing in this region. Lord, that we make room for you in this region, that you would heal generations, that Malachi 4.6 would be established in Charlotte, that Charlotte would be a forerunner city of Malachi 4.6, that there would be something about the father's hearts being turned towards the children and the children's hearts turned towards the fathers and mothers. Lord, let that begin to be manifest in practical ways. I feel like there's something about with education that Charlotte is going to um, uh, model and carry and break through in, that there's something about training up the young ones training up the children in the ways of God. And so there's just something about healing the generations that's on you guys. Jesus. I'm going to go deeper into that tonight, but um, wow, Jesus. <laughs> so, Lord, we just thank you for peace. I feel like that is one of the things that the Lord wants to establish this morning is that he is the Prince of Peace that you would encounter God as the Prince of Peace, that you would counter Jesus as the Prince of Peace. And I'm going to talk a little bit about peace, and I'm going to talk a little bit about just what I've been praying into for the last few years is that, that we would see a healing wave with mental health. Jesus. Do you know that um, in 2019, Time Magazine, they did a study that they discovered that we have dipped for the first time in over 60 years in our life expectancy as Americans. We've been growing in our life expectancy, and we've been, you know, and we dipped for the first time, and they say the two uh, biggest contributing factors is the opioid crisis. In 2019, we lost 71,000 Americans to uh, overdose. And then uh, suicide among 14 to 25-year-olds is at an all-time high. You know, I have a lot of discussions with, you know, those that are older of like, hey, are the times now crazier than they were like 50 years ago? And you'll have, you know, different vantage points, different perspectives. And I think the one thing that I could say that is completely different from my growing up years is the amount of bullying that's happening among high school kids and, and kids that, are, that have a phone. Because my bullies didn't follow me into my bedroom 
and wake me up at 2 a.m. with notifications saying, hey, like, this person just liked you being thrown in the trash can. This person, you know, like, is commenting, yeah, they deserve it. You know, all this different stuff where you're having a lot of teenagers where they're not sleeping and they're, you know, just, like, inundated thinking this is it. This is my life. Jesus got really kind of heavy in here. But just remember, his burden is light. His yoke is easy. He wants to encounter a generation with the Prince of Peace. You have to understand that wherever the enemy is doing, you know, you have that famous scripture where sin abounds, how much more does grace abound? So you have to recognize what the enemy is doing, but then begin to understand that God moves in the opposite spirit, that there's an invitation for this generation to begin to carry peace. Let's just hit peace for a second. I love the scripture, peace that surpasses all understanding. And we're kind of in a, a time right now where understanding is so important, so critical, so like a must. And you need to understand, or you don't need to understand, <laughs> that when you encounter peace, it surpasses understanding. Yeah. And this is what I'm going to hit on. I'm going to hit on a few things, but I'm going to hit on Romans 15, 13. This is a scripture that I've been meditating on for probably about five years, pretty, pretty, uh, uh, pretty much every day. 15, 13. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing in those that trust him would be another translation, so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's such a good scripture. We just need to read it again. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace, not some, not most, not just, just to the fivefold ministers, but to everybody. You get all peace, all joy yeah. in those that trust in him. Yeah. I shared this a little bit yesterday, but like the, in order to encounter, go into the room where the God of hope is at, you have to go through the doorway of trust. And it's this peace that surpasses all understanding that this ability to live in mystery, that we don't have to have all the answers, especially in today's world where it's like, no, I need to know, I need to figure it all out, I need to have all the answers. That's just not how God works. Oh, Jesus, some of you are looking at me with that tone of voice. <laughs> Let me break this down a little bit for you. It's this place of trust, and, and it's a place of surrender. I remember Bill Johnson, he began a decree in the late 90s about Reading and Bethel being a cancer-free zone. And then his dad, Earl, got pancreatic cancer. And I remember going to Earl's house and praying. I remember you know, him going down to the Santa Maria healing rooms. I remember just contending and fighting. You have to understand Bill... Bill's family, I think it was, I might get this a little bit wrong, but I think it's his mom's side that it was like seven generations, they've all died natural, like deaths. Like, they died in their sleep. They died of old age, you know, that, and then it was down his dad's line, I think it was like five generations. And so, you know, to have, and you know, what Bill is going after, and then Earl has pancreatic cancer, and we're praying, and we've seen cancer healed so many times, and then after like a year of contending, Earl graduates. He passes on. And Bill, you know, Bob Jones told them, hey, you need to cancel everything. You need to have a season of rest. 
And so he canceled speaking on Sundays, speaking to uh, uh, school ministry in first year. But my second year class only had 38 students, so he would be like, hey, I'm going to come into second year because we have a relationship, we know each other, and he would just process with us. We would sit on a couch in the fifth grade classroom at Bethel Church, 38 of us, and he would just sit there and cry. And he would begin to tell us his journey of learning to trust God all over again, that, that I'm getting, you know, he would show us emails from, you know, he, we wouldn't see who they're from, but he'd be like, hey, these are from major leaders that would be like, See, Bill, would you decree, you know, that your cancer-free zone will get ready to take hits for it? Do you really want it? Like, you know, there's going to be a price that you pay and that, you know, all this different stuff, bigger levels, bigger devils. And, and, you know, so he's in this place where he's getting bombarded with, hey, these are the reasons why or, you know, you get ready to pay a price and all this different stuff. And he's like, okay, I'm just getting to the fact that God is good. Yeah. Devil is bad. God is the healer. Devil brings disease. And then he would tell us that he's learning to worship again, that he doesn't understand why his dad, his dad was like a righteous man. Like his dad, why, why would his dad die of a disease? And, and he would tell us that it's an opportunity to worship, that it's an opportunity to choose to worship the God of the miraculous, the, the God that's the healer in the midst of him not understanding why God didn't heal his dad, that it's a fragrance to release to heaven that we will not have the opportunity to do when we're in heaven and we understand everything. Trust is an act of worship. It's a place of surrender where you trust him. And God sometimes will test you. Like, you know, it's not just like that. I'm not saying that even was a test. I'm talking about this is a different context. That was the devil that took out Earl. And, you know, and then that's what we have with Romans 8 about, you know, anything the enemy meant for harm, for evil, God will turn around for good. And I believe that we are in a reformation of understanding that we have an incredibly good father. You look at all the worship songs, you look at all the different stuff, there is this, this wave of understanding and knowing the Father, that he is good. Amen. Like, we're not going to go and camp here, but it's just, you know, and, and Bill has done such an incredible job of articulating this, but our dad, like, does not need to punish us to, like, to, to, he doesn't need us to go through diseases to teach us. He'll use those things, but we have to understand the author, the originator, is the devil. But God will use anything. You give him any kind of cards, and I'm not saying God plays poker, but you give him any kind of, like, hand of cards, he's going to win. But there's also times when he tests you that you trust him, and he'll test you. He'll give you opportunities that are before your time. That, that, you know, if it's, um, let me just tell you an example of this, and then I'll hit the point a little bit more. I, I used to travel with Bill and Chris all the time, Bill Johnson, back in 2002, and we would go down to Harvest Rock to this church, uh, this, past, this pastor by Cheon, and it's a beautiful sanctuary, and I would, like, daydream. I'd go into visions, and I'd just, like, picture myself, man, one day I'm going to be on the stage, and I'm going to call out words of knowledge. I'm going to see myself, like, calling out words of knowledge and all this stuff. Then Bill would be like, hey, I want you to do ministry time at Harvest Rock. And I'm like, come on, this is amazing. And, and so I would, you know, like, I would just dream with God. 
And it's so good to have those dreams of like, man, just picture yourself walking through hospital hallways and just like laying your hands on people coming out of the hospitals. I and mean, that's a good thing to be dreaming about. So anyways, those are the kind of things that I dream about. And, and, uh, and so we moved down to Southern California to pastor, and we're about 45 minutes from Chase Church, and my wife is going to Azusa Pacific, getting her music degree, and, and so I would go to Harvest Rock, which was like down the street from Azusa, and, and uh, I went to this conference, and I would, remember, I would always be like, man, one day I'm going to preach here, and Che grabs me, um, well, first of all, this conference is going all week, and Julia says, hey, Thursday night, I have a performance, can you come? to my performance. It's at 8.30. And I'm like, oh, sweet. I'm a maximizer. So I'm like, I could probably go to worship and then I'll run over to, you know, her performance. And so Jake grabs me before worship and goes, hey, I've heard some of your stories. I've heard about the grocery store and you like get on the intercom and people getting healed and people getting saved. Like, can, can you share a story right after worship? I'm like, oh, I'm a maximizer. I could do that. Yeah, I could. I'll share a three minute story, then run over to the performance. And so Che, you know, after worship calls me up. And he's got the microphone, and, he's, and he, I'm walking up, and he's got the microphone in his hand, and he goes, what is on you? And he goes flying back into the drum set <laughs> with the microphone. So I take a quick evaluation, what is on me? And I'm like, oh, wow. Like, the hand of God is on me. Like, I used to pray as a little boy, like, make me the man of your right hand. Put me on like a glove the way you did Gideon. And I'm just like, God, you're all over me. And I just, like, I don't need a microphone. And I'm just, like, and I just go, take it. And, like, you know, and there's, like, thousands of people. And, and they're, like, getting blasted. And, like, you know, in the front row was, like, Heidi and Roland Baker and Georgie and Winnie Banoff. And, like, Heidi and Roland went flying into, like, the Korean pastor section. And, and that, like, they're, like, you know, like, getting blasted. And, Ro and, and uh, Georgie and Banoff is jumping, like, over chairs, like, tackling people. And, you know, and Bill's just, thank you, Holy Spirit. You know, and just... I go over to like the wheelchair like section and I say, get up in the name of Jesus. And like people started getting, I don't know what their conditions were. Like maybe some of them could get up, but I'm sure not that many could get up. So there was pretty awesome. I don't know what it was like, well, I mean, what their conditions, but like they like started moving around, started walking around and like people were like going crazy. And then Cheon like army crawls to me, hands me the microphone. I share this like quick testimony and I like, blow it up. And then I'm like, I got to get out of here. And so I give the microphone back and I'm, going out the side doors, and John and Carol, they were supposed to speak that night, and they grabbed me and say, Chad, like, the anointing of God is all over you. You need to speak tonight. And then Cheon hands it over to the associate pastor and runs over and goes, hey, I'm like the father of this house. I'm running this conference. I really think that you need to speak tonight. And in my head, I'm like, you know, thinking to myself, okay, when I come home tonight, I'll come home with some flowers and some chocolates and the DVD of me speaking at Harvest Rock and say, I'm so sorry, honey, I missed your performance, but look what happened. I'll come to the next performance. That was what going on in my head. But thank God, out of your mouth, your heart speaks. Where I said, thank you so much, Che. Thank you so much, John and Carol. I'm so honored. I'm so privileged. But I made a commitment to my wife, and I need to go to her performance. Thank you, Rosalind, or thank you, Michaela. <laughs> and I'm, I'm like going, what in the world am I doing? But like, I, I broke a couple of traffic laws because I was a little late, you know, just putting cars on the table. But, but I, I made it, and I was a little bit late, and like, people were like, shh, you know, to like shushing me, and I'm like, do you know who I am? I'm the man of his right hand. It was like such 
polar opposite, like, like atmospheres. You know what I mean? Like I'm on the stage without a microphone. Everyone's like, ah, you know, and then I'm like trying to get in the back and everyone's like, who is this guy? You know, disrupting the performance. And like, and, 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 but I like sat there and I was just like, oh my gosh, I made the best decision ever. And it's that like place, and it was years later that I preached at Harvest Rock, and it was this place of trust that even though that this is a God dream, this is a God invitation, it was the wrong timing. And it's that place of, no, I care more about my calling, I care more about my assignments than my relationships, my covenant relationships, and you know, that would be a, a sign and a manifestation that you're probably taking things too soon. And it's that place of trust that I trust the Father that he'll bring me back around full circle at the right time. It's not a matter of time. It's a matter of trust and that you trust him. And it's an act of worship. And that's how you encounter the God of hope. That's how you experience all peace and all joy in those that trust him. Jesus. We've had a, a fun two years. We've had, a, a, you know, this coronavirus and all the stuff that's happened with mental health. And, and you need to understand what the Lord is producing in our time. That if you understand James 1, where you begin to count it all joy, all the trials and tribulations and tests, Attacks from the enemy, when you begin to count it joy, that it produces what? Endurance. And that the Lord is producing endurance in our time. And a lot of people think that prophets got it wrong about prophesying about 2020. I think one of the things that we get off is we try to apply prophetic words to our perspective and to our paradigm and to the way that we think it's going to fit. But you have to understand that Bob Jones was a huge spiritual grandfather to me where he would tell me back in 2002, he'd be like, boy, Kansas City's going to win the Super Bowl. And when they do, the generals of the, of the billion soul harvest will be put in place. So I would hear that from 2002. And then I was like hearing all the prophetic words and I was feeling like, you know, I mean, the Lord was doing a bunch of stuff to me. I was here in 2018 sharing about, hey, there's another Jesus movement that's been ready to happen. I feel like we're in the beginning stages of it. And, and so I was feeling all this stuff. And then, you know, you have the Super Bowl win of Kansas City. They called it on Sports Illustrated, the kingdom comeback. Like, it was just like this crazy deal. And so I was like, and I left the next day for Australia. So I was like pumped and ready to go. Let's, let's do this thing. And then I'm in Australia at the beginning of February, and people are wearing masks. I'm flying domestically around Australia, and people are wearing masks in the airport. Like, and I'm like, well, what is, what is going on? And, and then I discover, okay, coronavirus is coming out of Wuhan province. And, and I'm like, God, what are you doing? And he goes, this is what I'm doing with you in the church, that I am teaching you how to be anchored into my nature and not be displaced, swayed by the prince of powers of the air. So, you know, I, I ended up coming back from Australia, then I left for New Zealand three, like three weeks later, and I came back from New Zealand like March 17th or whatever, and then the, the lockdowns happened, and I, I lived next to a Trader Joe's, and I showed up to Trader Joe's and, and to get some supplies, and, and I'm, you know, I go, I have my grocery list, I love these chicken burritos that they sell, and, and these green chili chicken burritos, and there's none left, and I'm like, are you kidding me? 
And then I see these two women like fighting over like toilet paper and napkins, like you know, like they're in their 50s and they're like fist fighting, like like it's like Street Fighter Three or something like that. I'm like, <laughs> what in the world is going on? So what is the spirit that's screaming at you? It would be scarcity, which would be a spirit of fear. So I need to be anchored in his nature and not be swayed or displaced by that principality, by that spirit of fear and scarcity. So what's the opposite of scarcity? Abundance. See, this is an open book test. You guys are amazing. Abundance, that you're connected to your father, that the birds of the air are not worried about tomorrow, that, that you know that he's your provider, and that if you are moving in abundance, that means that you have more than enough, and that means you need to be generous and give away what you have. So I'd be like, all right, there's no gro- I don't have those on my grocery list. Well, whose groceries am I buying? Because I'm not going to be swayed by that principality of fear and scarcity. I'm going to go buy people's groceries because I'm moving in the opposite spirit. I feel like the Lord has been trying to teach us how to move in the opposite spirit while being anchored in his nature. And so if you have, like, you, this is way bigger than, you know, COVID and all that stuff, that you have to understand that the enemy has been attacking in this time. Some of it's technology. Some of it's, there's a number of different factors. But he's been attacking mental health. And so I've been just feeling like there is a wave of healing coming over mental health. And I'm going to talk a little bit about my journey where I went through a barrage of stuff. First of all, like I'm a super optimistic, positive, I'm a, you know, like I'm seeing crazy stuff. I've overcome stuff like, you know, I've got victories and all this stuff. So I'm like, yeah, like, you know, whatever gets thrown at me, let's tackle it, let's go for it. And in 2014, in September, I lost my grandma, who was a spiritual mentor, like one of my greatest like, spiritual mentors in my life. And, uh, and I lost my grandma, and I started a season where I would have like every four to six months have three points of trauma that lasted for four years. So that's seven deaths. I had three surgeries. I had four like major injuries. Um, there was, you know, financial stuff. People stole money from us. Uh, there was just, you know, a couple of different things that happened. And, you know, I just kept on like going like, okay, here we go. Like I'm moving in the opposite spirit, you know, and then I'm also like, hey, I take, I get a sozo at least once a year. I see that as like a good little, you know, like you, you, there's a reason why you go get your car oil changed and a tune-up. That's what it feels like, a spiritual tune-up. Like, you know, then that's just always been my deal for the last 20 years. I love getting sozos and, and just like just checking in, making sure I'm good. And, but I was, you know, doing that. I was doing all the different stuff that you did and and I was like, all right, no, like I'm setting my, you know, like, and it was weird because during that season, there would be like this spirit of foreboding that would try to become familiar in my life. And I'm like, I am not familiar with this thing. Because I was 34 when trauma started really coming into my life. And, and it was like this barrage. And in 2018, right after being with you guys in September, I was in a crazy car accident where... I fell asleep at the wheel, and it was, I'll tell you the story. Um, if you follow me on social media, you'll see a, an awesome 
millennial selfie uh, moment because I took a selfie video right after my car accident and I'm bandaged up and these highway patrolmen are looking at me like, what in the world are you doing taking a video? But anyways, I went and ministered um, in uh, the central coast of California and I was meeting with Heidi Baker and Will Hart at 9 a.m. in Reading, so I woke up super early, like we're talking 2.30 in the morning to drive through barrier traffic and I had a forerunner a Toyota 4Runner at the time, and I'm like, okay, hey, I could get to Vacaville, and there's no traffic from Vacaville to Reading, so I could just, you know, I'll sleep an hour, I'll get through the Bay Area traffic, because usually 6, 6.30, it's gridlocked. So I, you know, kind of, that's welcome to California. And so, so I get to Vacaville, I slept for an hour, and then I start driving, and then after an hour, I started like nodding off, and I'm like, okay, I gotta pull over again. And I had this meeting at 9 a.m. with Heidi and Will, and so I'm like, you know what, I got 10 minutes. So I went in the back of my forehead and just closed my eyes. I don't think I fell asleep, but I was all disoriented and pretty out of it, and I forgot to put my seatbelt on. And about 10 minutes later, I fell asleep at the wheel going cruise control, 75 miles an hour. I woke up like with my hands off the wheel, and I'm like bouncing, and, I, and I'm going right towards uh, uh, a concrete pillar on the side of the road, on the side of the five highway. And I hit the brakes, and I'm thinking, I got to get back onto the highway. And I'm getting back onto the highway and I'm fishtailing and the tires grab, you know, the asphalt and I start flipping. And I like, have that thought of like, no way is this real. I'm, this must be a dream. And because uh, I just woke up from a dream. But, uh, but um, and I start flipping and then suddenly I feel fingers go across my chest, across my uh, legs, across, then the forming of a palm that felt like a cocoon. And then I was knocked out. And I came to in my forerunner, missing my left shoe, going, where is my left shoe? And then I found my phone, and, you know, I was like, all out of, I was, I'm, I'm on the side of the highway going the wrong direction, facing the wrong direction, and the highway patrolmen were across the street, and they came running over to me, and I'm like kind of out of it, and I'm out of the car. I'm like, where's my shoe? I can't find my shoe. We found my shoe like 200 yards down the road. And, I, and I'm trying to talk to the highway patrolman, but like I've got stuff in my mouth and I thought it was my teeth. I was like, oh no, I knocked out teeth. And I pull out five rocks out of my mouth, meaning that I was doing that on the side of the, you know, bouncing off the freeway, bouncing off the highway. And the highway patrolman said, we watched you flip five times and you be ejected from your sunroof and you bounced a couple times on the highway. I've got scars on my back and all this stuff. Bounce, and then you were brought back in to the forerunner. You were brought back in from like, you know, I was, and so, and then I woke up and I was like, you know, what the heck just happened? You know, and so, and I was like, no way was I out of my forerunner. Like, I woke up back in, you know, and, and so anyways, the doctors are like, I, I had a severe concussion, uh, but other than that, no broken bones, nothing. They're like, you need to understand, like 73% of those that get ejected from the windshield or a sunroof, they end in a fatality. Like for you to just walk away today is a crazy deal. But I had, you know, really crazy brain and concussion issues. I was really sensitive to light for many months and, and I would have night terrors and I had severe PTSD. And so somebody gave me a car. Uh, it was my, uh, I call it the car of humility. It was, uh, it was, a, it was a discontinued 2006 uh, Sion. Um, and I showed up, like, this is a little side thing. I showed up. It was this uh, lady who was a missionary. And, uh, and she gave me her, you know, car because she was leaving to go somewhere to missions. And, and she had, like, flower stickers and all this stuff. And the Lord's like, you leave it. 
And I'm like, what? There's a bunch of flower stickers on there. Like, it's very feminine, you know? And I'm like, no, this is, this is your season. You know, like, this is your season of just, you know, like, letting go, the season of humility, you know? And when I was in the ambulance, I heard the Lord say, well, sorry, let me back up. When I was knocked out, I saw one of my healing angels, and it was like a football field away. And he came walking up to me, and right when he got up to my face, he smiled, and that's when I came back to consciousness. And so I was in the ambulance, and I hear the Lord, audible voice, say, this is a reset season for you. And I knew exactly what that meant. It meant that I needed to lay down everything, that it was a place of trust, where I was like, man, I just did this epic conference with like Heidi Baker. And you have to understand, like, I felt like there was a lot of like warfare stuff going on. Uh, the summer of 2018 was a crazy summer where we were seeing so much God stuff, but then there was like another heightened level of like demonic activity, meaning like a couple like witches and covens like came to one of our meetings and uh, we did a meeting with Heidi, and, and they came with a, uh, a casket with my name on it. And then another witch cursed me at another meeting and said that I'll die the way that my namesake died, which is my Uncle Chad, who was killed in a car accident. And so you have to understand this, though. And that, that summer was crazy. We had the car fires in the summer, which I'm, I'm sure you guys are from North Carolina, so you have no idea what the car fire is, but it hit us in Reading really hard. People died in the, in the fire. Um, uh, There's a couple people I knew. And, uh, and so anyways, it, I have friends that lost houses in the car fire, and it was a real traumatic time, and we just had our son, David. So to be, we, we were like three months, couldn't live at home. So, you know, to be like, you know, Uprooted when you have a two-month-old is really, really difficult when you don't, like, you're staying in Santa Cruz, staying at people's houses and all that stuff. And so it was just a really crazy season, but it felt like it was a really crazy season of, like, man, like, all these witches are cursing me and all this stuff. But me, like, where the Lord's like, hey, you need to take, like, this is a reset season. That doesn't say anything that the enemy wins. Because the enemy kept on saying, oh, yeah, we're going to, like, stop this ministry, basically. And the ministry is blowing up. There's so much fruit. But then the Lord says, hey, this is a reset season. And it's like this place where it's like you could have the same manifestation, but it be two different places. Meaning that you could be operating in a fear and go, oh, my gosh, like, you know, look at the power of these witches and all this stuff. And I almost died in this car accident. I'm going to just shut everything down because I'm scared. No, I'm shutting down everything because I'm trusting the Father that he'll, bring, he'll resurrect this at the right time. So I was dealing with night terrors, dealing with all this different stuff, and, um, and I, the reason why I was sharing about getting the car, this was a month after my car, uh, car accident, I jump on a plane and I have a claustrophobic attack. I have a panic attack. I'm like, my chest started pounding, tightening up, my um, peripheral vision shut down. I got claustrophobic, I've never been claustrophobic in my life. And you need to understand that I have flown over like a million miles with United Airlines, Star Alliance. Like I've, you know, you know, I've, I mean, that, that's, that's part of my calling. And it's intriguing that the enemy would be attacking where my calling would be. And so I'm like, hey, something's really off if I'm throwing up in the airplane. So I went and saw a psychiatrist that works with special forces, works with uh, 
you know, military to assess, do they have PTSD? And so she, you know, asked me about my lifestyle and the different things that have happened. And then I told her, man, this last like four years has been a barrage. Like I've dealt with almost dying and I've processed that. And I've dealt with, a, you know, a couple of different other traumas. But I felt like I just went through four years of just like back to back to back to back to back trauma. And she's like, yeah, like the, the straw has broken. Like, you know, like your cortisol levels are shot. Like, you know, all stuff. And then I begin to learn about my body. I begin to learn about, you know, like, okay, hey, this is how my body reacts to trauma. Like there's great books out there. The Body Keeps the Score. That's a great book. Like, it's amazing how science is connecting the dots with our soul and body. And we should be the leaders of articulating what leading our spirit, our spirit leading the way connected to our soul and body. But, you know, begin to read Brene Brown books, begin to go on this journey, and I would spend time with the Lord. And so about a month in again, I'm in the prayer chapel in Reading, and, and the Holy Spirit says, hey, I want to take you on an adventure. I'm like, sweet, let's go for it. And so me and the Holy Spirit are just hanging out, and he takes me to, um, uh, not Yellowstone, um, what's in our, yes, thank you. Yosemite, good old John Muir. And, uh, and so, so when I was in Yosemite, and then the Holy Spirit, like, gives me this art easel, and I suddenly turned to, like, six years old. And the Holy Spirit says, it's time to do art again. And I'm remem- I get triggered. I see myself as six, and I get triggered of a memory where my grandma, that, you know, spiritual mentor that passed, was the first point of trauma in September 2014, Ended up losing all my grandparents. Ended up uh, Julia losing all of her grandparents. We had seven deaths. We had a miscarriage in that time. So there was just a number of stuff that was going on that we were processing. And, um, but this whole deal, uh, the Holy Spirit says it's time to do art again. And I get triggered of I went on an art tour. My grandma was a professional artist. And I went on an art tour with her, and I felt a lot of pressure to be creative, to be an artist. And then I had some bummer experiences with some art teachers when I was eight and nine, to the point that I began to sabotage my creative side. And I began to, like, sabotage and shut that down and say, yeah. Like, I began, like, my dad would kind of make these jokes, like, oh, I guess creativity skips a generation. I know that sounds pretty harsh. Or it's like, I guess you got my creativity and not mom's creativity. I only draw stick figures as well. And, and so I just began to agree with lies. To the point that I was in high school taking ceramics and I flunked high school ceramics. You have to work really hard. <laughs> you have to really sabotage yourself to flunk high school ceramics. So, you know, and I, in my 20s, I was like, oh, I got, like, found other sweet spots in my life. And I always would be like, man, I, I wish that I did art, but, you know, that, that, that's just, you know, that, that passed me by. The, the, the formative years to develop that passed me. I've got these other sweet spots that I'm growing and. And, and paying, you know, energy and time to. And so when I'm 30, 36 now, dealing with this car accident, and the, the Lord says it's time to do art again. So I began to go and enroll myself in art classes. And I'm telling you, it was so crazy. Like before, you know, like when you're going up to your paint, like you're getting everything together, you, you're you these voices, like you don't belong here. Like, you know, like everyone else is further along than you. Like it's, it, you're, it, you're too old. Look at everybody that's younger, all this different stuff. And, but then when you could silence those voices and you begin to get lost in art, I would leave there and go, man, there's a level of wholeness that's happening that I didn't realize that I could get from doing art. And then I didn't even realize that it's like, you know, Harvard did studies about art therapy healing like PTSD. 
And, uh, but, but it was an arrow that I had from my childhood that I had not picked up. And I began to discover that this was a major arrow that brought healing and wholeness to my life through trauma. Obviously, God doesn't give you one arrow to get rid of your trauma. He gives you many arrows. And so I began to discover many arrows. I began to cultivate many arrows, whether that's going to counseling, whether that's getting uh, EMDR, whether that's, you know, uh, all that different stuff. Like float tanks are amazing, you know, like reading Brene Brown, like all this different stuff of going, hey, I'm going to get rid of this trauma. Here's the deal. There's a difference between being present in your trauma and your pain and being stuck in your trauma and pain. Because we don't need, I hit this a little bit yesterday about escapism, we don't need to escape from our pain. We need to invite God into our pain, be present in our pain, but not get stuck there. And sometimes it can feel very similar, or maybe you're not feeling like you're getting traction, but you have to begin to discover different arrows that you are taking ground. And sometimes the enemy will try to discourage you and say, oh, look, you took a step back. Well, you just have to do the math, two steps forward, one step back. That means you still have one step forward. You're still taking ground. And you don't despise the day of small beginnings. And it's pretty crazy, too. When I was going through my car accident, going through all this trauma and like the PTSD, and it didn't like happen after just one prayer, and like I would go up, like vulnerability is so huge. It's a place of strength. So I began to find people in my community, hey, I need prayer. I need like, and so they would give me wisdom. They would like pray for me. And it was always interesting. Sometimes you would get like, you know, the reaction after a couple months, like, Chad, you're still dealing with that? Like, What's wrong with you? Like, you didn't apply the wisdom that I gave you or, or, you know, like, but you're a giant killer. You've seen, like, eyes, like, form creative, like, you know, all this different creative miracles, all this stuff. You should be done with this. And, like, and you're just, like, dealing with the shame and you're just, like, no, 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 no. I'm still killing this thing. And it's, I don't need to feel shame that I'm still killing this thing. I'm not going to let it become my identity. I'm not going to get stuck in it. I'm going to have an authority. I'm going to grow. I'm going to get like, this is actually a place of discovery. It's a place of wholeness. It's a place of healing. And sometimes when you go through trauma, 80% of your community runs for the hills and 20% gets closer. One of the big reasons for that is because your capacity shuts down too. Jesus. so important for us to understand community in trauma that you have David at Ziklag where he comes and you know he finds out like houses are burning wives and children kidnapped and you've got 600 mighty men and 200 of them are like we're too exhausted and it's so important for us as leaders especially that we know when to rest by the river But the deal is, is you have to know your seasons and you have to be, know how, well, let me just finish that story. So, so 400 of them and David go get what the enemy has stolen. They bring it back. The mighty, you know, his mighty men are like complaining, like, why are we going to give it to these 200 guys? They just rested by the river. And David made it a law, made it a decree. Everyone gets back what the enemy has stolen. And we need to have people, when we're too tired to fight, when we've gone through like all this trauma, we're just exhausted, that you begin to let people fight your battles. Jesus. So 
gosh, I'm, I'm going to land the plane. It's 12. John said take a little bit longer, but this is normally when I'm landing the plane. But I just want to hit this. That, first of all, there's hope. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but desire realized is the tree of life. That you need to begin to connect to the desires that God has birthed and authored inside of you, that you begin to be connected. You align yourself, and it connects you to the tree of life, which is Jesus, and it breaks off hope deferred. And here's the deal that I love, and this is going to be a generalized statement, I'm talking about generations, and you need to understand generations are carrying different things for, our, for, different gener- for the other different generations. And there's, you know, baby boomers, they're, there's, again, generalized statement, they have like this crazy work ethic, right? Like you would hear things like, we crawl in, we don't call in, and all this stuff. And then you have millennials, and, you, and you'll, you'll see like, <laughs> I got a little tickle from some people. So anyways, um, then you, it's always interesting to study generations and to study history and to see the swinging of pendulums and reactions or just like, no, we're going to like, that was maybe a blind spot for that generation. Like they worked too much or they didn't, they weren't vulnerable enough. And like, you know, it would be a lot of stuff of like, man, you don't tell people you're going to like a counselor, like, you know, like you, you know, you're going to a quack, you're going to like, you know, like all this different stuff. Like that was like a no-no. You were shamed if you went to go get counseling. And then you have millennials that like are in this like, hey, and, and, I, and I love it because it's this place of you can't love others. You Thank you. You do unto others as you would have them do to you. And here's another big thing. Sometimes the hardest person to forgive is yourself. And I could feel it off of people when I'm on an airplane, and I'm, or not on an airplane, I'm on the gate because I do a lot of stretches at the gate, and I do a little workout. Normally I, you know, I bring a jump rope with me. I didn't on this trip. But, um, but anyways... I'll have people go, man, young man, what are you doing? Like, you're working out, all of a sudden. I'm like, I'm recovering from a car accident. And I'll start telling them, like, and like, I was ejected from the sunroof. And they're like, oh, you weren't wearing your seatbelt, were you? You'll probably never do that again, will you? And like, you know, you could feel like the shame. And you're just like, and, but what was so amazing is I went through a process in that first time, the first phase of like killing PTSD of forgiving myself. That man, I made a poor decision where I didn't put my seatbelt on, and it could have cost my kids to have their natural father growing up. It could have had pretty crazy consequences. I had a, I had a four-month-old and a three-year-old, and they could have not known their dad anymore. But I had to forgive myself. It's so important that you forgive yourself, that you work through that place where you could be honest and you could forgive yourself. But it's so important that I've seen this in, the, in, in, you know, I'm a tweener, so I'm like a millennial and a Gen Xer. I was born 81. And I have friends that, you know, have been married, like, you know, me and Julie have been married 12, uh, 17 years, and we had friends that were married, like, 10 years, 12 years. They had three kids, and then one of the spouse was on the journey of, like, you know, I'm going to love myself and be true to myself and be honest with myself and the whole thing. I'm like, oh, I've come to the realization that I never loved you, like, you know, and I need to go and pursue my own, like, call and, you know, I'm called to this arena so that we need to end in a divorce. And like, we had a bunch, we've had a couple marriages that we have fought for that have ended in divorce. And it's in this whole place of like, you've got to love yourself. And see, the, the deal is, 
if we're talking about wholeness, you will not realize that, like, like oh, I'm, I, can't, I can't be, I can't minister to other people. I'm on this journey of wholeness and this journey of making sure my heart is good and that, that, that I'm, I'm not gonna minister to others. This is a me time and all that stuff. And it's so important that we don't stay there where we become selfish, self-centered, self-consumed. That if you want breakthrough for yourself, you have to begin to fight for other people's breakthrough. And sometimes you don't realize that you're carrying breakthrough or you're carrying wholeness until someone else encounters God and becomes whole. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Amen. I shared this a bit last night. Uh, and I landed the plane with it last night. And it's something that just has rocked me and rocked my world is um, I was going through all this trauma and it was December, so it was two months after. And this lady had dinner with us and she said, hey, my husband was in a severe uh, accident where he was run over by a drunk driver on his bike and um, he's, you know, he's not paralyzed, it's not, a, uh, it's not a spine injury, it's a brain injury. And, um, and so he, his brain doesn't fire, he can't communicate, he, 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 can't, he can't move. And, he's, and, um, and she says, hey, you need to take him surfing. I had this encounter with God while you were speaking in Southern California and I heard the voice of God say, this man will take your husband surfing. So she looks at him and goes, will you take him surfing? And I'm like, first of all, do unto others as you'd have them do to you. Like, if I'm still, like, if I'm, I could have been in his spot. And I hope to God I have friends that would still take me surfing. Strap me to a surfboard because I'm still breathing. I'm still alive. Throw me on a surfboard, you know? Like, and so I'm like, no, I need to take this guy surfing, but I'm not better yet. So I looked at her and said, hey, when I'm better, I will take him. Well, I go on my journey of, you know, EDMR or EMDR or, you know, all the different stuff. EDM. <laughs> Anyways, um, I go through that whole deal, and then suddenly it just, like, kind of came together, and I forgot about the conversation that we had in December that I took him out surfing in August, the end of August, and I take him out surfing and catch three waves. It was amazing, and, and we're loading him up in the van, and they take off, and then I suddenly have this realization and this remembrance of the conversation that we had in December. I'll take him out when I'm better, and I suddenly just looked down at myself, and I'm like, I guess I'm better. And I'm telling you that if you are dealing with trauma, go and discover your many arrows and discover the God of hope and don't be stuck in trauma, but know how to be present in it and then begin to get out. But one of the ways that you'll discover that you are carrying wholeness or you're, just, you're carrying breakthrough is when you contend for others. That you wouldn't put yourself in a spiritual timeout that you wouldn't put yourself, that you wouldn't feel shame. Like, like you have to understand, I just went to Hawaii, and it was a huge victory for me. That, that you know, because I broke through, like, <laughs> I had a lot of indicators. Like, I jumped on a plane to Australia, and then I jumped on another plane to New Zealand. I had no trigger points. It was amazing. It was awesome. And I went to Hawaii December uh, 9th, my birthday. I was supposed to go December 8th, and the test didn't come back in time. So they put me on the plane for the next day, which was my birthday. And I was invited to do this little leadership thing. This is December 9th, 2020. 
So right in the beginning of COVID and everything. And so I get to, you know, Hawaii and I, the National Guard is there and they're looking at everyone's tests and they go, hey, we no longer, this is December 9th, and December 6th, we had new regulations. We no longer recognize this lab that you have a negative test from. So we're sending you back or you go into a 14-day quarantine. And so like, I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, uh, can I just, I have a plane back in three days. Can I just leave in three days? And they're like, no, you'll be here for 14 days at a hotel, like we'll tell you to go to and all this and stuff. And I'm like, okay, I guess I'm jumping on the plane back. And then my um, earbuds, earbuds things, like they broke on the flight over and I had nothing. Like I had no way of like entertainment. I didn't have my Bible with me. It was in my checked baggage. And, and I just like suddenly begin to have a panic attack again. And I take the mask down and I'm like, you know, trying to breathe. And the stewardess is like, put your mask on, put your mask on. You're not eating, you're not drinking. And I'm like, I'm having a panic attack. And she's like, no, put your mask on. I don't care, but put the mask on. We're going to FA, we're going to ground this plane in the ocean. Like, you know, and like, you know, so. And so like, she's like making the thing go way crazier. And then I start, and then I start just throwing up. And, 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 and like, I'm like, oh, dang, like, I guess I'm not better. That was one of the things the enemy was trying to tell me. And I'm like, you have to understand that the enemy will come when you have, when you feel like our setbacks, they're not. Yeah. That, that the enemy will try to come and bring condemnation or shame and say, see, you, you, had, you got triggered again. No, no, you have to understand that when I got hit in 2018, a month after my accident, that spun me out for months where I was able to like, I had a panic attack and I was able to, you know, learn from it, grow from it, discover God there. And then I was like, oh, the next day I was fine. Oh, Jesus. It's moments like that of invitations. It's moments like that where you're on a crossroads, where you could either jump back into the quicksand and begin to believe the enemy that you're just never going to get over it, you're never going to get whole, or you're like, oh, whoa, look at that. I rebounded. I begin to learn about my body, and I'm like, oh, I'm getting a little bit of tightness in my chest. That means there's something going on with my cortisol levels. There's something going on with my emotions. There's something, what's going on in the atmosphere? Okay, I'm going to lean into the Prince of Peace. Oh, wow, now I'm not out for months. I'm not out for weeks. It was like a 24-hour thing. Great, I'm getting better. I'm learning more about my body and about my soul and about my spirit. This is amazing. I'm growing. This is called growing. Gosh, okay, let me just hit this, and then we're done. I said I was laying on the place. 1210, just give me one more minute, please. Because I want to hit this whole deal of being present in your pain, that you find God in your pain, but you don't get stuck there. God doesn't leave you there. And I want to hit this, is a lot of people want to escape from their pain. And this is a thing that has been going on with man. When you talk about Israel and them you know, wandering the wilderness, and they wanted to escape, go back into slavery. But you have to understand that God is with us in the journey. And sometimes we're like, oh, this is too painful. I want to like shove it down. I don't want to like look at it. The Lord's like, no, no, I'm here with you. I want you to look at it and find me in your pain. And then you discover a place of wholeness. And so you have to understand that the most beautiful times uh, of your life should be transition. That I love watching sunsets and sunrises. Like it's one of my favorite things to do. It's one of my favorite places to talk with God is sunrises and sunsets. 
And so I was out on my back porch one day, and I'm watching the sunset, and the Lord says to me, Chad, what have you done for a sunset? What have you done for a sunrise? And I'm like, man, I've made reservations like three months out at a restaurant that I took Julia in Laguna Beach, and I made sure that we had the best table for the sunset, and we, I looked at the, the, the calendar, the clock of when the sunset's going to be, and you know, like I, I've, I've woken up at 3 a.m. to go bike up a mountaintop to watch the sunrise, like, and he's like, isn't that interesting, Chad, that you've done that, that it's, it's the most beautiful times of a 24-hour cycle is sunrise, sunset, it's transition. The most beautiful times of the day is transition. The most beautiful times of your life should be transition. That, that I said it last night, that you know we're called to go glory to glory, but no one loves the two. But you have to find God in the two. You have to find God in your pain, that you have to find, then, then you begin to operate out of a place of victory because you are in him. And he is in you. So just put your hands on your heart. See, that took two minutes. <laughs> Lord, right now, I just pray. I just pray that the Prince of Peace would be revealed. That you would establish a well within us where we know the Prince of Peace. And I pray that, that people are dealing with sleepless nights, that are dealing with sleep deprivation. They say that, you know, if you don't uh, sleep for a 24-hour cycle, you're legally drunk, like meaning that you have the same body chemistry as being intoxicated. They say the number one trigger point for mental health issues is sleep deprivation. And they say that 70% of Americans are sleep deprived. And so, Lord, right now, I just pray over our sleep. I pray, Lord, that we would have radical dreams about, about, about you, Dad, about our calling, about our destiny, but also that there would be angels assigned to our bedrooms, that, that, that we would have wisdom on, you know, what is keeping us up at night. That, that, but, Lord, I just pray for mental health. I pray for anxiety to bow to Jesus. I pray, Lord, that trauma bows to Jesus, especially childhood trauma. And I feel like there's some of you in here that, that you have a point of trauma in your childhood, but the Lord gave you an arrow in your childhood that the Lord is asking you to pick back up. Maybe it's art. Maybe it's dancing. Maybe it's horseback riding. That, that you would begin to discover the many arrows that God has given you to begin to have victory in your trauma. So, Lord, right now I pray that you would just come as the God of hope and that you would deliver trauma, depression, anxiety, any hopelessness. We just break that off right now that they would connect themselves to the God of hope. Amen. You've been listening to The Gate Charlotte's podcast. Consider subscribing so you don't miss a message. We're sending this to someone who might need encouragement today. Thanks for joining us.